Hey friends, welcome to episode 63 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Swift, and I'm thankful that you're here today. Thank you for listening in. We have an important subject to talk about, but first I want to encourage you today. God sees you. He knows you. He knows every detail of what's going on in your life, and he wants you to know that you are loved and that he's going to work everything together for good. I'm not sure who that was for. It's probably for a lot of us. But anyway, we're talking about homeschooling. And before you tune out thinking this doesn't apply to you, well, there's something in this episode for everyone. So I encourage you to listen to the entire episode and join me as I talk with my friend, Dorenda Wilson. She's the author of The 4-Hour School Day. And she's going to share what works. She's going to debunk some myths that we've heard about homeschooling. And she's going to tell us her story. She has homeschooled eight children. And, you know, maybe you don't think you have what it takes to homeschool your kids. Or maybe you're a grandparent who, due to difficult circumstances, have been thrust into the role of parenting. And you're thinking, maybe should I homeschool my grandchild? Um, And perhaps you want to homeschool, but you have no idea where to start. And maybe you've been homeschooling for years and you just need a fresh perspective. Well, listen in because Dorinda is going to share her secret sauce and the 411 on how to experience an enjoyable homeschool life with your kids. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I am so blessed that you're joining us today and I have a special treat for you and you are going to love the message that Dorinda Wilson is going to be sharing with us. If you've ever thought about homeschooling or you have a friend that's ever thought about it but felt intimidated, this is the show you need to listen to because it's going to clear up a lot of misconceptions and encourage those who are seeking to homeschool their children. Do you have what it takes to homeschool your children? That is a loaded question. In her new book, The 4-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, Dorenda Wilson offers a thorough and engaging guide for parents new to homeschooling, as well as those who are more experienced. With over 25 years of experience homeschooling her eight children, wow, Dorenda has become a trusted expert in home education and offers practical advice for parents looking for fresh ideas to ensure their children have a quality education. I love that she's been doing this for more than 25 years. She's a trusted voice and resource at homeschooling conventions and on the Dorenda Wilson podcast, which you will all need to check out. Dorenda and her husband, Daryl, have eight kids and six grandbabies. And as an author and speaker, her greatest joy is helping moms discover God's grace and with it, the courage to put their full trust in him, moving forward in faith and confidence. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show, Dorinda. Thank you so much for having me, Doris. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing this important message with me and our listeners today because there is a lot of talk about homeschooling and there's some parents who have thought about doing it, but they weren't sure how to actually go about doing it. And I like the fact that you also speak truth and encouragement into the lives of those who have already been doing it for a while. I would love if you would share a little bit more about yourself, about your story, and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. 
Well, I'd love to, you know, back when I was a teenager, the Lord was already starting his work when it came to leading me into homeschooling. I picked up a book on homeschooling called Better Late Than Early by Dr. Raymond Moore. This was back in the 80s. And as I read through the book, people are probably wondering, why in the world did you pick that book up? Well, I love children. I've always loved children. I love working with children. And so it just intrigued me. And I also had... uh, I had a vision for, and a, and a passion to be a wife and a mom. And so this kind of lined up with what God had already laid on my heart and what I felt was my calling. And so I think that's probably what prompted me to pick up the book. So I picked up the book and as I read through it, I just, there were so many pieces of it that resonated with my mom heart for these kids that I didn't even have yet. And so that sort of got tucked away um, until I met my husband and we met, decided to get married. And then we both agreed that we wanted to homeschool our kids. And I was so thankful that he was on the same page. And so that was sort of the catalyst to start me down that road. And then I, of course, as I started to have children, I referred back to this book and it really encouraged taking an unhurried approach with our kids, especially in the early years, sort of gradually working them into book work instead of five years old, slamming the books on the table and saying, you know, let's get started. It was about being tuned in to my children and letting them develop at a pace that worked for them. That was natural for them developmentally. And by this point I had taken a few child development classes because I was doing a little bit of childcare, preschool, that kind of thing. And I always found those classes really intriguing. And so all the dots were connecting as we were having children and heading into the school years. And that was sort of the beginning. And as we walked out our life in this way. And as things unfolded and God just continued to teach me along the way, this beautiful journey of growing a strong, cohesive family. At the end of the day, I can honestly say that that was one of the greatest benefits of homeschooling our kids is, you know, seven of our eight kids are graduated and we have a great relationship with every single one of them. And to me, that was the greatest accomplishment, you know? So I think that's where, as I started to approach the season where they were flying the nest pretty quickly, because we had eight kids in 13 years, they, they came fast, but they also left fast. So, (laughs) so I I began praying when our first one um, graduated and just said, Lord, I need you to start preparing me for whatever it is you have for me once this part of my life is past, you know, and he was so faithful. And I started to uh, write, I was encouraged. Heidi St. John is a really good friend of mine. And she encouraged me to start writing and sharing. She said, you have a lot to share. You should be sharing it. And so anyway, just one thing led to another. And I self-published a couple of books, The Unhurried Homeschooler and Unhurried Grace or a Mom's Heart. (laughs) It's a devotional for homeschool moms. And then my most recent book. So that's kind of, you know, just sort of like a flyover of how that all happened. But seeing what I saw in our family and recognizing how joyful the journey was, and even in comparison to so many homeschooling families, I knew that um, I knew other homeschooling families that were enjoying the journey, but I also recognized that as new moms were coming up, they weren't, a lot of them weren't enjoying it. And I just, you know, looking around, I'm thinking, how can I, you know, invest in these, in these younger moms and, and really encourage them and just other families that are still homeschooling and and so that's how I ended up where, where I am. And I am very, very passionate about it. And I love what I do. That is precious. I love the fact that now that your kids are growing and moving away from the nest, 
which I don't, I don't really like the term emptiness. So I use the term plenty nest because eventually they come back with more family. So it really yes, grows. That's, that's really what's happening. We're expanding exponentially. And then at the same time, the Lord is calling me to do these things. So it's really a challenge of keeping my husband and family still a priority because I still believe that that is my my first calling and then doing these other things as he leads. And, um, but yeah, it's busier than I expected. You know, you hear the term empty nest and you think, ah, you know, he can just relax. My husband and I looked at each other a week or two ago and we just said, you know, retirement just isn't for us. We want to do something that matters and we care about the next generation. And so we just see what God tells us to do. And we're going to keep moving forward and we're going to keep investing in the next generation because um, we believe that is a worthwhile investment. Yeah, absolutely. I love a couple of things you said. Well, I love all the things you said, actually, but I love how you were talking about your children before you even had them, that you had a mom heart for them. That was just so sweet how you shared that with us. And the fact that it's okay to look at things in an unhurried way, because sometimes there's standards that we feel that we have to live up to, or that kids have to be at a certain level at a certain age, or else there's something wrong, you know, and those kind of things that can really lend to more anxiety than to the peace of the Lord and following what he wants us to do. But you also mentioned something else, which I was wondering if you could expand a little bit about on this part of it, because you said that you and your husband were on the same page about homeschooling. So do you have some encouragement for some families out there that perhaps one parent is on board with it and the other one just isn't quite sure? And what is some encouragement you can share in that area? I always, always will recommend, I can't emphasize enough prayer first, because only God can change hearts. And when it comes to homeschooling, when it comes to raising our kids, we need to be a unified front. And because kids need consistency and, um, you know, anytime there's a rift there, the enemy knows that. And that's what he uses to um, fragment the family. And he's done a fantastic job of that. But I believe that God's people are taking, they're taking that ground back and it starts by praying for the other person and just have a genuine conversation about their concerns. Actually, I, in my book, at the end of each chapter, I have questions that I asked just for reflection over the things that I've talked about in the book and, and the, the, the four hour school day, you know, the titles can be slightly deceiving because it's not just about you know, form and function, how to do this in four hours a day. It's a much broader message than that. And the message is really about talking about what education really is at the end of the day. It's so much broader and deeper than we realize. And at the end of the day, we realize that as parents, we are educating our kids all the time through family life. And and this is what God has instituted. This is why God has made the church and the family, the pillars of society. When the church and the family are faltering, society is faltering. And we look around and we see that's what's happening right now. And I believe that we can have the biggest impact on the culture by taking our children back home and under our wing and discipling them and making sure that we are making God-led decisions in everything concerning them, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because we educate the whole child. You're never just 
dealing with the intellect and the brain. It's always the whole child, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And we can, I believe we can do that best at home in a family life, in a family setting, because that's an institution that God has ordained. And you as parents have this God given role in your children's lives. And it is an essential role. So, and, and it's a responsible role. So at the end of the day, if I send my child to school, I am still responsible for whatever they learn there. I cannot blame the teacher. I'm responsible before God for what that child is taking in. And I, I think that's what I want parents to realize that you can and should make these decisions regarding your children. So you've got that other person who is not fully on board. I'm obviously going to recommend reading the book together or listening to the audio version of it together, make it a date time in the evening or whatever, and go through it and and have the conversation. Be honest, talk about what you're afraid of, talk about what your concerns are, pray about them together and ask the Lord to clarify to you what he has for your family. That's great. I was going to say the book together. That is, that is a really important step. And praying, as you said, is vital in any endeavor. And you're so right. The enemy is just bent on attacking the family structure and marriages. And there's just so much going on in the world today with identity. It's so confusing for kids what they're hearing and seeing and the things that they have access to in school that at one time we thought, oh, you know, we would never see something like that in a school atmosphere or setting. But, you know, these these books and different materials that they're seeing and these messages that they're hearing you know, don't always line up with what they're hearing at home. So it is good, like you say, for us as parents to really take responsibility in what the kids are exposed to and learning. And I think that what you're doing is so encouraging because families oftentimes maybe even haven't considered it. Now with with COVID, of course, the past year with more people were kind of thrown into homeschooling when they really never even thought about it, whether it be a Christian home or, or not, I think that it might've opened some eyes to some things. Right. So we'll talk about that a little bit, Dorinda. Yeah. Well, I just have this to say, education is never neutral. It is never neutral. Education is discipleship and discipleship is rooted in relationship and relationships take time. And this is why I encourage an unhurried approach and a relational approach. But here's the thing at the, at the end of the day, um, our pastor said this, he said, someone's been thinking multi-generationally and it hasn't been the church and that needs to change. We need to go back to a biblical perspective on family, which is a multi-generational perspective. These kids aren't just acquisitions. They are blessings from the Lord and they are responsibility from him to invest for the future because they are our future. And we see that happening all around us. You know, I call them the government schools because they are run by the government and the, you know, the curriculum and everything involved. Parents really don't have a lot to say about what's being taught to their children. And for Christian parents, that should be something that they look at and say no, and they grab their children and they walk away. Um, Because by the time we bring the change that needs to happen or a complete revamp, um, our kids will be grown. We don't have time for that. We have to do what's right for our children right now. And I think as more Christian families do that, we're gonna change the nation and we're gonna change the world. I 
firmly believe that. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do, because I I think the world has, I know the world has sent a message that parents don't really matter. They minimize them constantly. They make them feel like they're not smart enough to make decisions for their kids, medical decisions. They need someone else to tell them how to do it. They Mm -hmm. need someone else to tell them. And that is just baloney. And it started when we were in school. You know, when, when we're in school and, and we're just told you need to learn this, and this is when you need to learn it. Well, guess what? That actually doesn't work with kids when it comes to learning, because forced learning isn't real learning. You can't force a seed to grow. You have to water it, nurture it, fertilize it, do the things that encourage it to grow. But the growth is something that God has to do. And so God's given our kids all these little developmental stages where now they can learn, you know, it starts at the very beginning, you know, they start out just smiling and then they want to sit up and then they want to crawl and then they want to walk. And if we could just look at the rest of their developmental years, just that way, they just continue to progress. And at each stage, we're uh, hopefully as parents, we're tuned in, we're students of our kids, we're tuned into them and we're like, oh, they seem like they're ready for this right now. Or something like this. They're asking to read. They really want to learn how to read. Okay. That's when you take advantage of the you know situation. You say, okay, let's sit down and let's start doing reading lessons together. And, you know, we had a thing that we did that was 15 minutes a day. I didn't even do everything in the lesson. If I didn't feel like it was a good fit for them, I could decide now that's going to bore them. We're going to move on to this. I could make that decision as a mom. And so our time was so efficient. It was efficient because I was tuned into my kids and I was like, yeah, that's going to work. No, that's not going to work. Or we tried that and that's clearly not working. So, or at least not right now. So we're going to put that aside. We get to do all of that. And so that's, we're really facilitating our kids' education. And we're kind of in many ways, letting them sort of lead the way we're watching. We're just, it's like a dance almost. And it's so much fun. They thrive in that, you know, when they're in those younger years, they just need to play a lot. They need to be outside. They need to be out in nature. And we read to them and we bake cookies together and we do Play-Doh and we take naps and, (laughs) you know, we have a rhythm and a routine because kids desperately need rhythm and routine. That's what they're made for. And they need that security to them and we can give them that. So if we're giving them security and safety and they can relax and all of a sudden learning just happen so naturally. And I always tell moms, you know, approach homeschooling by homeschooling from your mom heart. Instead of, you know, be mom first, instead of trying to be teacher first, your mom first, and you relate to your children from that nurturing nature that God's given you so much teaching and learning will naturally happen. That makes it easy. It makes it a gift. It makes it natural. And again, it makes it efficient because, you know, you're doing the right things at the right time and you don't have to spend hours trying to force them through a lesson or force them through something that isn't working for them. I just love how you said homeschooling from your mom heart. Mm -hmm. That is something that moms can do. All moms can do. And I also love the fact that you brought out that it's about discipleship and relationship. And it reminds me of how we share the gospel with people, you know, how we share our hearts and our stories. And you're so right. It's not just about the education piece that is always so focused on. It's about the whole child. And, and I love how you talk about utilizing and incorporating the child's interests into what they're studying. So tell us a little bit about that or how would that look? Well, it really, really depends on the age, but, you know, even into high school, 
their interests were still a very big part of their education, even though they were meeting requirements for credits. We actually met those requirements. We tried to meet those requirements in ways that tied into their interests or at least how they learned best. And so, you know, I would say to them, okay, you've got to meet this science credit. So we were a team and I told them when they started their high school years, and I think I'm talking about high school because a lot of people think, oh, I don't know if I could do high school. So I'm going to give it as an example because that's the area that would probably be the most intimidating to people. So high school years were some of the best years of our homeschooling because our kids are at a point where they were really owning their education because we slowly, we encouraged independent learning. We encouraged self-directed learning. We had directed learning. I don't want people to think that I'm an unschooler because I'm not in That works for some people. I knew that would not work for me and I needed a certain amount of structure, but I I look at homeschooling as a balance of directed learning and self-directed learning. So there was parts of it that, yes, we, we need to do math every day, you know, at least a little bit every day making progress. We plotted through those basics, but when it came to some other things, we let that be interest led in the early years, kindergarten to eighth grade, we let history and science be interest led. And so they were experiences there. I was always watching for what they were interested in. And, and if they were interested in something, I would, you know, we'd maybe start out getting a pile of books or we'd watch a documentary or they'd watch a documentary, or I'd say, you know, I'd give them options. Do you want to, you don't want to watch a doc- documentary on that? Do you have, here's some picture books on that, that I've got, you know, I always left good books laying around. That would also be a way to kind of pique their interest in things they hadn't thought about before. So back to the interest piece of it, as they were in high school, you know, they were meeting these credits and we worked together, but I said to them, okay, you, you see here, you've got, you've got to have these science credits. So do you want to learn that? I would give them three or four options that I felt were good for them. I would narrow them down because I'm not going to hand them a big book full of curriculum options and say, here, pick what you want to do. I went through and handpicked three or four things. And I said, these are the, the ways that you can learn this. I've got this curriculum, this curriculum, you can take this class or you can do this thing online. So you can decide what you want to do. And, you know, all my kids say that that was one of their favorite parts of the high school years is that they got to choose how they were going to meet these credits. But I told them at the beginning of their high school career, I said, and I started in middle school, I said, hey, just a heads up when you get into high school, um, this is going to be your thing. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to nag you. I'm going to walk alongside of you. I'm here as a resource. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to take this thing and run with it. And, you know, sometimes they faltered a little at the beginning and I would just, you know, keep encouraging them. This is your thing. We had to write, you know, monthly progress reports for a a program that we were involved in. So when they got in high school, they had to write their monthly progress reports. So I shifted that in high school because I knew developmentally they were ready for that. And it was good for them to have to meet someone else's requirement at that point in the game to learn how to say, oh, these are the hoops I need to jump through. So um, I've got to figure out how to do that. So they would do that. And when it came to their interests, their interests counted as credits towards their diploma. So I told them at the end of the day, when you walk across that stage and get your diploma, I want you to be proud of yourself. I want you to know that you earned that. It wasn't me, it wasn't mom doing it for you, but you did it. And so every single one of them did that. They rose to the occasion because I rose the bar. I, cause I knew at that stage of the game, they were ready for it. And like I said, some of them took a little bit longer than others to really get going and find a rhythm, but they, they all did it. They all rose to the occasion. And so I think those were great ways to prepare them, but also to allow them to 
learn in ways that work for them and to, to say your interests are of value. We can turn these into credits. You know, I'll figure out how to do it. You know, that was my part, you know? Yeah. So at the end of the day, honestly, I just did three podcasts on high school. Uh, One of them is a Q and a that I did online. And then the other two are talking about just what I was mentioning um, that a lot of homeschooling moms don't give their kids enough credit for their real life experiences, but you can do that. And it's fantastic. It can be career readiness. It's just learning the terminology and knowing what to categorize it under. And we can figure that out, you know? So anyway, so does that answer your question? Yes. And more. That was amazing. And I think that's going to encourage a lot of people today because the high school piece, I think might be intimidating to some who have elementary age children, you know, like, okay, well, I definitely know how to teach them this up to this point, but I was never good in algebra. I was never good. You know, so I think it can be intimidating, but I love how you put that very important learning spin on it and put in the court of the children to then take responsibility for their education in their whole like learning experience, like a life experience that you're giving them, you know? Right. And and ownership is key. And that's why we started very early, just, you know, what they could do on their own when it came to the directed learning. Like once they were reading, writing and doing basic math, Mm -hmm. they were responsible to sit down and do a certain number of pages in this workbook. Um, math workbook. And then in, in, you know, however we were doing language arts, I I tended to lean towards reading and for a while and writing a short summary, you know, in in early years, that would look like narration before they can write, you know, they're going to tell me what they heard in the story and, you know, kind of the progression of things. And those are pre-language skills. Conversation. I don't think moms understand. Conversation Um, Just the conversations we have with our kids is a huge part of their learning. In the early years, especially, those are all pre-language skills. So teaching them good communication, um, even, you know, like if they didn't say something right, I would repeat it properly for them. And I wouldn't correct them necessarily. I would, I would just repeat it the way the word should have been pronounced or the word that should have been used. And it started that at a very young age. And so those are all just little things we so underestimate. You know, the school system has driven into us that it's got to be this huge, you know, textbook tests and quizzes. And if you're not doing all of that, you're not learning anything. And that's just a big lie. It's a huge lie. Learning is happening all the time. We're, we're learning all the time. Our kids are learning all the time. It's just recognizing learning for what it actually is. And when I started to realize that as our kids were growing up, it, it was a game changer. So I was like, okay, we're, we're, you know, we're at the Apple farm or we're outside doing yard work. What are my kids learning right now? As I'm watching them, I go, okay, they're using a rake. So they're having to do hand-eye coordination. They're using their core to do the raking. They're having to think about their approach. So how they're going to overcome the ops, whatever obstacles they have to do this job, to get these leaves all in a pile. See, we don't even think about that. We just brush it off as, as nothing. It's just yard work. We got to get out of the way so we can get back to the books. No, 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 no. Everything you're doing with your kids is a learning experience. So when we slow down and we are engaged in the moment along the way, all of a sudden we're able to see it. and then. What I find interesting is I can point it out to the kids. Oh, did you see how this, that, and the other thing? And now I'm teaching them how to observe the world around them and to analyze things and to look at things and to take things in and how to communicate. I mean, it just, it's endless, but we do it so naturally as parents that we often just 
write it off as nothing. And so that's what I want parents to understand um, is at the end of the day, number one, you are fully responsible before God for everything concerning your child. And the second thing is, if this is a God-given role that he's put you in and he has, he's going to equip you to do it. So if your child is in third grade and you're freaking out about high school, stop. God will provide what you need when the time comes. You just do well today in the moment with your kids, engage, ask the Lord for wisdom, follow his lead. And when you get to high school, it's going to be a blast. (laughs) Amen, sister. Well, that's encouraging and so fun. And it kind of answered a question that I had thought about asking you because another thing that could be intimidating for a family is if they have children in several different grade levels. But as you were explaining, as the children get older and the responsibility shifts more so on their choices of how they are going to best learn certain things. And of course, keeping to a certain requirement that they have to maintain or fulfill, but in a creative way for each child could be different. So that frees up more time for things you might need to spend a little bit more time with the younger children that you might be also homeschooling. Yeah, that sounds accurate. But the other thing is, uh, you know, there are some seasons, I mean, for us, there was a season of lots and lots and lots of littles, you know, baby Mm -hmm. every two years, you know, at one point, well, we had six kids, nine and under seven kids, 11 and under, and then eight kids, 13 and under. So in those really early years, when the babies were still coming, I remember struggling just to get three days a week done of just the minimal, simple schoolwork, the basics. And I just kept shooting for four or five and I was getting so frustrated. And I prayed to the Lord. I was like, Lord, what? I'm, you know, am I doing something wrong? How can I, you know, how can I do this better? And God, it was like, God said to me, and I know he said this to me. He basically said, can you just be content with three days? Mm. And I thought, I, I can, if that's okay. (laughs) It was like, he gave me permission to say three days is the best you can do in this season. It's enough. And he was totally right because there were other seasons that we were in, obviously with that many kids, you're going to run into this a lot where I would just be like, we just keep having to keep everything simple and straightforward. And, you know, and, and I would ask myself, the Lord really, is this enough? I would be, you know, thinking to myself, this can't possibly be enough, you know, and it's only when I started thinking about what other people might think is when I started thinking like that. So comparison's a bad place to go, but it did lead me to prayer. And I asked the Lord and, and he said, Dorinda, remember the story about the loaves and the fishes? Yeah. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do? He said, bring me what you have, not what you don't have. And he made it more than enough. He blessed it and made it enough. So his encouragement to me was do what you can do your best, do the things that breathe life into your family, nothing more, nothing less. And trust that I'm going to multiply it and make it enough. And he did, you know, I mean, when I'm in the middle of it, I didn't know. I was like, Lord, I really know that this is what you're telling me. So I'm just going to hang on and trust and do what you're telling me to do. Cause I don't actually know what the outcome is going to be. Well, now here I am. And I do know what the outcome is. And he was faithful. So he takes what we have and he makes it enough. We just need to do our part and keep trusting him. Just surrender that to him. And I love that God is our father. And evidently he's the heavenly superintendent of this homeschooling thing. He is. Well, and and here's the thing I wanted to share too, about that season where we had a lot of 
small children, um, you know, I recognized the three days was all we could do. And, and then I began to look around and I, and I thought, wait, my kids are learning organizational skills because we were doing chores. I think chores and um, sibling relationships are a huge part of our kids' education. And I have workshops on those explaining why and what our kids learn from these things that really tie in to their adulthood even more so than, you know, than the curriculum. My kids were learning how to serve one another. They were learning to care for younger children. Okay. So God tells us we're supposed to care for the weaker ones, right? In our, in our little tribe. Well, these are the weak ones. So we, we love and we care for them and we meet their needs and we change diapers. And when you make a sandwich for your brother, that's a blessing. God's using you to provide nourishment for your brother. And, you know, all these things, my kids were learning that had nothing to do with books and everything to do with life and everything to do with serving the Lord and serving others and being part of the body of Christ. And what does it look like to be a family and, you know, a family that the way that God has intended and, you know, all of those things, all the character things, lots of character building in those early years, those are foundational for higher learning. And that happens while we're unloading the dishwasher, (laughs) giving our brother a bath and, you know, keeping the house from falling down around us because that's what we spent a lot of time doing. following directions. You know, we don't realize when we tell our child, we give them instructions. They have to take that in through their ears. They have to process it through the brain and then they're, they have to go do it, or they have to communicate it to somebody else. I want you to go tell your brother this, all of those things are communication skills and, you know, how to follow directions when my kids were little, um, and they were working in workbooks one thing that I always tried to do because I wanted to encourage independent learning was I would say, okay, read the directions and then tell me what you think they're telling you to do. So I made sure that they understood that the directions were, but I wasn't going to tell them what to do. I made them read it, interpret it and communicate it back to me. And that taught them how to read written instructions and follow them. And then all of a sudden, as they're moving along and they get the hang of that, they can open up their workbook, read the directions. And I always tell them, if you have trouble and you don't understand the directions, just let me know. I'm right here to help you. I was always right there, but I wasn't looking over their shoulder and I wasn't telling them how to do everything. And and that was just the beginning of encouraging that independent learning, which really paid off over the years with that big of a family. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's a beautiful picture right there because it reminds me of, you know, when we read the word. You know, Mm -hmm. like how the Holy Spirit allows us to understand what we're reading and to be able to apply it to our lives. And that Mm -hmm. is so important. And I love how you are helping others and parents and even students as well to see it from a different light, from biblical perspective, but really from a different perspective and a fresh perspective, because how you were talking about everything that we do is really a teachable moment in how we can look at these things and be more intentional about it and realize the value in each and everything. So I love that you brought that out. That was amazing. I also wanted to ask you about some of the different myths that we hear. So what would you say are some of the homeschool myths that you would want to debunk right now and help people get through those? Well, I I think always, um, there's that socialization. Actually, what I want to talk about first is the the crux of the four hour school day is it doesn't have to take all day. So I think that that's probably something I've already made an argument for. (laughs) 
<laughs> and a case for in the things I've already said. So that would be probably the first thing I would want to debunk. It does not have to take all day. Uh, but, the, but like I said, the second thing would be, you know, the socialization thing. I, I still, it still blows my mind that that's even an argument now or an excuse or whatever that people give um, or think about homeschoolers. And, you know, at the end of the day, as parents, really, we have a greater impact on how our kids socialize with other people. We set the example and, and we do that as, you know, we homeschool, we bring our kids to the post office and the library and our kids learn to talk uh, to all different ages, relate to all different ages. My children have never had trouble talking to any age, but then compare, contrast and compare, imagine a classroom, 30 kids, how many times in your life are you in a classroom for eight hours a day or in a room eight hours a day with people your own age? Okay, never again. So how does that prepare you to socialize as an adult? I don't see the connection there. What I do see is that, you know, kind of differentiated between socialization and socializing. To me, socialization is about conformity. Mm -hmm. And socializing, uh, socializing is what you and I are doing right now. Having a healthy conversation, communication. That's what we want our kids to learn, right? That's what they're going to learn in real life. And so I just feel like that's a myth and it can easily be debunked very quickly with just those few thoughts. That's great. Yeah, that makes total sense. And the fact being that the things that go on in a classroom can be distracting and not the kind of socialization or the social atmosphere that is conducive to learning. Because right. how many times does teacher have to stop? I, I mean, I just even know from teaching Sunday school for years that when there's disruption, there's kids that want to learn, but they can't. But I love how you are bringing out the fact that as a parent homeschooling a child, you have so much flexibility and the fact that if some people might say four hours, that's not enough or whatever, but how you're explaining it, it's really just incorporating everything in the day. So not necessarily just encompassing these hours, these boundaries of these hours that they're doing like algebra or something, but it's right, that right. life skills that they're learning. Right. So that's what exactly, exactly. And what I want to emphasize here is, you know, I talk about all the age groups. I go through all those developmental age groups in my book. And the four hours was what our high schoolers did. That was the max. When my kids were in kindergarten, first grade, I can with confidence say it was zero to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. That was it. When it came to the bookwork piece of it. But of course they were learning all day long because that's what kids do when they're safe and secure and they're on a nice rhythm and they have playtime and you don't give them too many resources, but you let them be resourceful on their own. You know, I put my kids outside every afternoon for a couple of hours, you know, and um, that was how they grew up. And they say now that was, they're so thankful. They thank me all the time for giving them that margin in their day, every mm -hmm. single day, even as high schoolers, they spent that time pursuing their interests and hobbies. And because of it, they have many interests and hobbies. Do I have time to tell a funny little story? Please. Okay. Our son is, uh, he's an apprentice for a commercial plumber. So he's been doing this for a couple of years and he has a coworker that was, I think, dropping him off or something. And the coworker noticed that our son, Sam's older brother, Jake was working on a drive shaft that he's replacing, who's replacing on his Jeep. And his coworker said, wait, Jake is replacing a drive shaft on his Jeep, right? Yeah. Doesn't he, isn't he a software engineer? Yeah. 
uh, didn't he just get an, a job with Amazon? Mm-hmm. And doesn't he like to surf? Yep. And uh, what else did he say? There was one, oh, doesn't he play the guitar? Yeah, he plays the acoustic guitar. He likes to play Latin music. Whoa. <laughs> and, and the guy goes, is there anything your family doesn't do? And my son said, we do what we find interesting because no one told us we couldn't. <laughs> nice. I love that. I just love that. And it, not only did we not tell them they couldn't, we encouraged it. We encouraged a variety of interests. And see that all of that happened because from the beginning, we were watching like, oh, you're interested in that? Okay, well, would you like me to do this? Would you, do you need something? Do you need resources? Um, I would be at a yard sale. This, this happened with Jake. You know, I found an old computer that's just, you know, probably broken, but I took it home and I said, hey, you want to pull this apart? And I mean, the worst thing we're going to do is spend five bucks. He's going to pull it apart. He's going to learn a ton. And when he's done with it and he's lost interest, I'll throw it in the garbage. And so those are just the kinds of things we did all along the way. And we always had conversations about, you know, what they were doing, what they were interested in. I kept them engaged. They would be maybe out following their interests or playing outside or whatever. And they always come in, you know, use the bathroom, grab a snack, whatever. And I would say, hey, what are you doing out there? And they would tell me what they were doing. And I would ask questions. And so I started that at a very, very early age. I think I conveyed value in their pursuits. And to this day, they still will stop by the house <laughs> and I'll say, hey, what you up to? And they will start telling me in detail the things that they're doing, the things they're interested in. <laughs> And it's just, it's precious. I love it. You know, it just starts out just be a mom, you know, be a mom, be a parent. Yeah. And it's never too late to be that parent that God's called us to be, because there may have been things going on in a parent that's listening in their lives, maybe something in their past, in their childhood that, you know, Mm -hmm. has caused them to get off the rails for a little bit, but God Mm -hmm. is always faithful in bringing you back and whatever you hear in your heart that you feel called to pursue that he will equip you and he will use his other kids like Dorinda to share. And I love how people are noticing how kids that you have raised have been exposed, just the vastness of whatever they dive into and in not limiting because sometimes I think we can unknowingly limit our kids in their gifts and talents and interests right yeah and you know just because they're interested in something it doesn't need to turn into a career Mm -hmm. what happens is when they're allowed to follow their interests they are learning how they learn Mm -hmm. and they're also being encouraged that it's good to pursue something if it's interesting to you and just pursue it all the way until you know, the interest dies. And this is why we need time and margin in the day, because if we're like, all right, you got to get your shoes on because we got to go to the next activity. You've lost that. Mm -hmm. And what you've lost then is um, really the encouragement to become a lifelong learner. Now, if you're just like constantly going, I'm never saying that a child doesn't need to, you know, get on the stick, get their shoes on and go to an activity. I'm just saying when we have too much of that, we hijack that process. And it's a very natural process that God has put in children. And I think this is really at the end of the day, what it's about. We believe there's a creator and having a creator changes 
everything. And that's why the, the school system is failing because they're not coming at it from the idea that we've got a creator who intentionally created us with a purpose and a plan. Their mentality that has to do with Big Bang or evolution is about meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Just get everything you can right now because you know there's nothing more than this. We don't believe that. We believe there's a creator, that there's an afterlife. We believe that we're redeemed. You know, you talk about the parent who might be listening and struggling. Let me just say this. God is a redeemer of all things. And I love the verse in the Old Testament that talks about how he can make up for what the locusts have eaten. That's the kind of God we serve. So having a creator changes everything. You can do a 180 right now as a parent. And I guarantee you, God is going to bless that effort. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we just keep hotly pursuing the Lord and his direction and walk in obedience to him. I'm telling you, he will do great things. That is so encouraging. And it's never too late. Even if your kids are grown, I mean, it's never too late to impart the wisdom that God brings forth. Dorinda, this has been so amazing. And I would love if you could share with the listeners how they can grab this amazing book of yours and also any of the other resources that you have and to just connect with you if they want to reach out and grab some more encouragement. That would be great. Well, the four-hour school day is available at just about any bookseller. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, christianbook.com. I love supporting them. You can find the book there. Um, my self-published books are available on Amazon, The Unhurried Homeschooler and Unhurried Grace for Mom's Heart. They're also available at my website. So dorendawilson.com is where you can connect with me. I have a podcast, the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I have over 200 episodes. And on my podcast page, if you go to the podcast page, there's a handy dandy search bar at the top, which I think is fantastic because you can put in keywords and, you know, find the episodes that you really need to hear on um, the things that you really need to hear about right now. I also uh, speak at homeschool conferences uh, during the homeschool conference season, which is pretty much over for this year. And then I'm also on Facebook, uh, Dorenda Wilson, just Dorenda Wilson. It's my author page. And then at Dorenda Lee Wilson on Instagram. I appreciate all that you shared today. And I encourage the listener to reach out and check out these resources and into connecting with you to book you to come and speak. Yes. You yes. have so much to share really and encouragement. And so thank you so much, Dorenda. This has been so amazing. I just love all that you're doing. and. At such a time as this, as the book of Esther tells us, but this is really shining a light in some darkness that really needs to go out into the world. And so I just love that you encourage the parents out there that this is something God will equip them and they can homeschool their kids. And so thank you so much, Dorinda. And I hope to have you on again sometime. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. All right, friend, will you take care and we will talk soon. Thank you for listening. And I hope this episode encouraged you. My conversation with Dorenda was amazing. And I hope it challenged you to take some kind of action. Maybe that is homeschooling your kids. Maybe it is changing up the way you already are doing that. Or maybe it's to buy some of her books to encourage moms at church. You can hand those out as gifts, or perhaps you can even have a small group, or maybe you could start a study group and talk about the book, read through the book and encourage some moms. Whether you've homeschooled or not, 
we can all make a difference in the lives of moms who are doing this or even children. And whether we're homeschooling or not, whether we have littles at home or not, we can still make an impact in the lives of the kids around us. We have nieces, nephews, we have children at school that we can volunteer in the classrooms to help out and encourage them. We can also volunteer at church and work in the children's ministry or in the nursery. There's so many things we can do to help support the homeschooling parents. It's important. And I know Dorinda would love to come and speak to your group if you want to reach out to her. And I would love to speak too. So if you have a women's event coming up, please check out my speaking page at daraswift.com and let's chat about that. And I hope you join me next time when I invite another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friends, have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon.